All right, uh, turn in your Bibles with me this morning. We're in Gospel of Matthew. We're in chapter 7, and we're going to be covering verses 15 to 20 this morning. I titled this morning's message, Beware of False Prophets. And uh, last week, we looked at verses 13 and 14. We have come to this seventh chapter... And it's really the conclusion to Jesus' sermon, but verses 13 and 14 was the beginning of this. Jesus said after all of the doctrine and all the practical application that he had given in the first two chapters, he came to this verse 13 where he said, enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. We would think that as we're getting to the end of this sermon and really in this closing chapter of what Jesus was, was teaching, that it would actually get easier. Uh, maybe that what Jesus was saying uh, would, would, would become a little bit easier, but in a sense, it's actually intensifying a little bit. Jesus, when he said, enter by the narrow gate, it's because of everything that he said before that. He was concerned with those that were hearing him speak on that day, that there were these two roads that people could travel. There was two ways that they could either receive the things that he just spoke or that they would go the easy route and that they would go on the broad road. Jesus was telling his disciples, enter by the narrow gate. That gate, that narrow gate we learned is the difficult way. It's not the easy path. It's not the one that our flesh wants to typically get on board with. We and our flesh typically, we want to go the easy route quite often. But Jesus says that the narrow gate is narrow. And the narrow path that leads beyond that is a narrow path. And it's difficult as a Christian to to stay on that. But it's that gate that Jesus says leads to life. And that's the one I want to be on. I don't know about you. I, even though it's difficult, even though being a Christian at times has its difficulties, I want to be on that narrow path. But we're also told that there are many who stand at that broad gate. And there's many that will funnel through that gate. And that road leads to destruction. Very clear and to the point, but the reality is is that we have a choice. We all have choices. Every one of us is a believer. Every single day we make choices. If I'm going to remain on this narrow path in following Christ, or am I going to lean towards this broad path? Jesus in verse 13, really was setting the stage for what we're going to look at this morning. 
we see in, uh, in verse 15 another warning. You see the word beware? I want you to think about all of the teaching. Some of you have not been here from the beginning of this Sermon on the Mount, but I want you to think about all the truths that we have already learned. All the practical application that Jesus has given us in the two chapters before what we're in right now. I mean, incredible words of wisdom. This is probably the most important teaching that Jesus ever gave to his disciples and to us. Incredible words of wisdom. But did you know that with every truth of God that we find in Scripture that there's a cult out there? That with every truth of God there's a false teacher that is out there in this world. There's a false prophet who is trying to distort the truths of God. They're, they're trying to, there's teachers that are compromising God's word every single day. They distract from it. They're, there's people that are questioning it. They're challenging it. There's people that are critics of this word. They're adding to it and they're taking away from it. They're wanting to water it down. They're wanting to marginalize it. They're refuting it. And that's the world we live in right now. The Word of God is being challenged by so many groups today and individuals and people. I really believe that there is really a battle for truth in our world today, like there's never been before. It's actually sad to say, but this battle for truth is not just coming from unbelievers. This battle for truth is coming even from those who profess to know Christ. It's coming from denominations that are out there that are vacillating on which direction they're going to go with truth. And the sad part is, is that it's in the professing church. It's, it's where we need to be warned as a body of believers here that we would not depart from the Word of God. Some of these denominations and some of these professing believers, they've left the truth. Some of these denominations started out well, and now they're not doing so well. Why? Because they got away from the Word of God. I lived six years in Europe, in, in the UK, and I've seen firsthand how a whole nation of people that departs from the Word of God, what it will do to them. And it's the same thing that's happening in our, in our country here. People are vacillating. Christians are vacillating with truth. What is truth? And is it even relevant? Some of the things that Christians have held on for years and years, is it relevant for today? Some have forgotten the words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. The Apostle Paul writing a letter to his son in the faith, Timothy. He was a young pastor. This is what Paul told Timothy. Timothy, I charge you. 
Therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead, dead at his appearing and his kingdom, and this is what he says to Timothy, Timothy, preach the word. Timothy, preach the word. Don't stop preaching the word, Timothy. Be ready in season and out of season, Timothy. And in that season and out of that season, Timothy, be ready to convince by God's word. Rebuke, exhort, and do it with all long-suffering and teaching, Timothy. Be patient with the people. Teach them the word, but do it with long-suffering. But teach them the word. Preach the word, Timothy. And then he warns Timothy. He says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. That's today. That's the days that we're living in today. They will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. Itchy ears. Only wanting to hear what will tickle their ears. And there's so many Christians even today that want to stay away from churches that are taking people through the Word of God verse by verse and chapter by chapter and book by book. They want to stay away from that because they know that they're going to get into sections that they don't like. I knew that even when I was teaching the book of Revelation that there was a possibility that somebody could leave this fellowship over it. I knew that anytime you get into certain areas of the Bible, there are people that will say, you know what, I don't like that kind of stuff. That's so negative. I don't like hearing about all these negative things, the end time stuff. And there are people that Christians, professing Christians today, say, you know what, I don't like that stuff. They'll heap to themselves itchy ears. They will heap up for themselves teachers, ones that they like, ones that, will, that they like to hear. We have a whole barrage of different teachers. You can turn on the TV, you can get whatever you want. And the sad part is that Christians can pick from that and they'll pick the ones that fit what they like. And he goes on to tell Timothy, they will turn their ears away from the truth. Don't let that be one of us. They'll turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you, Timothy, be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions and do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry, Timothy. It's not easy in the days that we're living in to be a church and to be Christians that are saying, you know what, I'm not going to compromise the Word of God. I'm not going to compromise the truths that I see in God's Word. There's going to be people that will challenge you on that. But let me ask you a question this morning. How many of you want me to teach the Word of God to you? How many of you want me to get up here every single week and to teach the Bible and to go through it verse by verse and chapter by chapter without compromise? Raise your hand. I, you know what? I, I knew that everyone probably would raise your hand. But you know what? That's why you're here. 
And that's why you've come along to this, because you know that every time I get up here, all I want to do is teach you the Word of God, because that's all I have to give you. I want to give you God's truth. And I believe that that truth, and patiently applying that truth to you, that we're all going to grow. And we're going to grow through God's Word. I want to be a church, and I believe that Calvary Chapels as a whole are churches that put high priority upon the truth of God's Word. They want to teach God's Word to the people because they know that it'll change their life. Jesus in the seventh chapter is not content with just giving us a well-executed message. There are people that have turned the Sermon on the Mount into a well-executed message. But a well-executed message might only be that people hear it, but they don't do anything with it. You see, when you get to the seventh chapter... Jesus is concerned not with just giving us a well-executed message, but he desires that we would do the things that we have learned in it. That's where the challenge comes in. We have to go back over it, look back in it, and review it and say, God, it's only by your Holy Spirit, it's only by you that you can work these things in me and give me the power to be able to live these things out. God, I'm dependent on you. I'm poor in spirit. God, I need you to do that in me. I believe that Jesus here this morning wants to caution us. He tells us that there are teachers that are out there that want to deceive and deceive you. There are books that are written that are mixing Christians up. There's teachers on the radio and teachers on TV that are messing with Christians' minds. You know the only way you can guard yourself from that? The only way that you can is to know God's Word. Stay in his word. Know the truth of his word. Spend time in it. Meditate upon it. Study it. Look at it. And let it be ingrained within your heart and mind. And then when those lies come along, and then when those half-truths come along, you'll be able to pick them out just like that. No, that's not right. That's not what God's word says. But there's lots of books. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon said. He says, I charge you as believers to examine every statement that you hear from Christian pulpits and platforms. That includes me. I charge you to sift and to try every religious book by the great standard of the Word of God. Books are great. I've got over 600 books in my library that I have, and I love books, and I read those books at times, but it never replaces the Word of God. The Word of God is the book that we need to know better than any other book that you have on your shelf. Charles Spurgeon says that we need to use the Word of God for the standard to measure whether that book is accurate. Sometimes Christians pick up Christian titles and they think because it has a Christian title to it that it must be from God. But know this, there are lots of Christian books out there that might have a lot of great things to say, but you have to be able to pick out the things out of those books that are not accurate. 
they're not balanced. It's out, of, it's out a little bit. Or sometimes it's out a lot. He goes on to say, Believe none of us if we speak contrary to his word. He's speaking about himself as a preacher. Yea, believe not an angel from heaven if he preach any other gospel than that which is contained in the inspired scripture. To the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no truth in them. God grant us grace to escape from false prophets. We shall not do so if we are careless and off our guard. For the sheepskin garment so effectually covers the wolf. The broad phylacteries, which were those boxes that the Jews wore on their head that people saw and showed their religiosity, the broad phylacteries so decorate the hypocrite that thousands are deceived by the outward appearance and do not discover the cheat. Crafty are the wiles of the enemy, and many foolish ones are still ignorant of his devices. Tutored by the experience of ages, seducers and evil men not only wax worse and worse, but they grow more and more cunning. If it were possible, they would deceive even the very elect. Happy shall they be who being elect are kept by the mighty power of God unto salvation so that they are not carried away with the air. It's a long quote, but I believe it's just right on point. We're living in dangerous days as a church when it comes to truth. We're living in dangerous days because the, the, the church and truth is being attacked. And, and unless you know your word, unless you know your, your Bible very well, you could find yourself getting swept away with the errors that are out there and the half-truths that are there. Jude, 2,000 years ago, gave this warning. He says, Beloved, While I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith. That's what we're called to do, to contend for the faith. The the truths that we believe as Christians were to contend for those things, which was once and for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. These are ungodly men who turn the grace of God into lewdness and they deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Ungodly men. Creeping in. He, He uses this, creeping in unnoticed. They're in our churches. There are people that come into church sit there, and they look like everyone else, but they come in with half-truths, or they come in with an inbound, and and they, they begin to infiltrate within the church. Nothing's new. 2,000 years later, it's the same thing, if not worse. We need to be careful, even as a church, that we're looking out for one another. We're looking out for false doctrine within this fellowship. Look in your Bibles 
at chapter 7, verse 15. Let's read this together. This is Jesus speaking. Verse 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Let me ask you another question this morning. What is the greatest danger that we have in our world today? Uh, think about that. I mean, is, is it terrorism? Is it ISIS? You know, is it, is it the uh, uncurable diseases that we have running rampant in our world today? Is it the proliferation of nuclear weapons and the possibility of world war coming upon us? Is that the biggest danger in our world today? As Christians, you know what I believe our biggest danger is? It's false doctrine. False doctrine is the biggest and the greatest danger that faces mankind today, and it always has been. Why? Why would, why would that be the biggest danger? You see, somebody can come and kill the body, can't they? We could die physically, and you know what? If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you go to be with the Lord. You have eternity. You have the hope of eternity. But if you die and you die believing a lie, there's no hope. Your soul is lost. There is no hope for you. And so when people come into this world bringing lies and half-truths and things that will, these cults that are out there dragging people along with them, it's the biggest danger that this world faces. There's nothing that we should know and desire more than to know where we're going when we die. God, I want to know. I want to know that I'm right. I want to know that I have truth right. I want to know that I've done it your way. I want to know that I'm... And Lord, because I don't want to be one of those people where the Lord's going to say, I never knew you. Look at verse 15. Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Get that picture in your mind. He starts out by giving us a warning. This warning follows what we talked about last week, the narrow way and the broad way. And he leads into beware of false prophets. Or another way we could say is be on your guard, Christians. Weiss translates it this way. Constantly be guarding yourself against the false prophets. Men who are of such a character as to be coming to you with sheep-like outward expressions. Let me say that again. Coming to you with sheep-like 
outward expressions, but in their inner being, they are rapturous wolves. We have a lot of them. There's a lot of them in the, in the world today that are coming and they look like teachers, they talk like preachers and teachers, and they stand in front of the people but they just have the outward. There's not the inward. And they stand in front of the people and Jesus warns us that they are really like wolves with sheep's clothing on. Get that picture in your mind. A wolf that has wrapped himself in sheep's clothing. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 6, Jesus gave another warning in regards to being aware. He says, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. We know that they have been the backdrop in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus has spoken of and, and referred to them as hypocrites. Jesus warned them. He says, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He also said in Mark's Gospel, in chapter 12, verse 38, he says, beware of the scribes. These were the teachers of the law. These are the ones that could study the law and then give interpretation to the law. Jesus says, beware of those scribes who desire to go around in long robes, loving greetings in the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogues, and the best places at feasts. They devour widows' houses, and for a pretense they make long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. You see, to Jesus, this is very serious stuff because it involves the souls of men and women being deceived. Even the very elect... Be careful that we are not being drawn away by the deception that is out there. Paul warned in Colossians 2.8, he uses the word also, Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. There is a system and a way in the world that's out there that's wanting to draw Christians into it. All the philosophies out there, all the have-trues, all the, the way that the church is vacillating, it's wanting to draw you away into those things. And they're not according to Christ. Paul gave a triple warning in Philippians chapter 3, verse 2. He says, beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers and beware of the mutilation. He says Jew and Gentile and all of them out. They, there is a deception that is out there. They put confidence in their flesh. But your confidence, church, should be in me. Not in the flesh, not in, the, not in circumcision, not in, in, not in the, the resume that you could put together, why, how religious of a person you are. Your confidence should be in the Lord. Jesus says, beware of false prophets. Now this word false prophet in the Greek is actually one word. It's pseudoprophetess. 
And we, we get our, uh, one word we get is pseudo. Now this word pseudo speaks about something being false or untrue. And then we have the word prophetess, which is prophet. And so a pseudo-prophet is one who teaches something that is clearly opposite of what Jesus taught in Scripture. It's opposite of truth. That's what a pseudo-prophet would do. These pseudo-prophets, they speak falsely. They claim to be prophets from God or teachers from God, and we have many of them today. If you want to know how many, just turn on your TV set. Just, you, know, go, you can find many people that you would sit there and go, this isn't from God. This is not truth. They're all around us. They utter falsehoods under the name of divine prophecies. Modern-day prophets today. People that claim to have a word from the Lord. Thus says the Lord. Be careful if you ever use that term. If you ever speak and you say, thus says the Lord, and you're speaking not truth on behalf of God, be careful that what you say, that you are 100% sure that what you are saying is coming from God himself. You'll stand accountable if you don't. They pretend or they have an appearance as a man of God. And there are many. The prophets in the Old Testament, these were those that spoke on behalf of God. Uh, They either spoke of future events that God had given to them, or of coming judgment that that they would warn the people about. But the Old Testament, like the New Testament, it also had false prophets. There were false prophets in the Old, just like there were false prophets in the New Testament. In the book of Micah, in chapter 3, verse 5, the prophet Micah said this concerning the false prophets in his day. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets, who make my people stray, who chant peace while they chew with their teeth, but who prepare war against him who puts nothing into their mouth. Therefore you, shall have, therefore you shall have night without vision. You shall have darkness without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets, and the day shall be dark for them. So the seers shall be ashamed, and the diviners abashed. Indeed, they shall all cover their lips, for there is no answer from God. There is no These are the false prophets in Micah's day. But Micah says this of himself, but truly I am full of the power, full of power by the Spirit of the Lord. And that's what makes the difference. You see, we can't go out in our own words and our own power and, our own, and speak on behalf of God. I can't get up here and teach the Word of God unless, God, you show me something, unless you speak to me. It's not my words, hopefully, that I'm up here teaching, but I'm teaching the Word of God. We know that in these last days that there are many pseudo-prophets that will arise. 
We're warned of that in Scripture. In Revelation chapter 13, we read about the false prophet who is second to the Antichrist. We're told that he will come performing great signs and miracles, deceiving many. He will cause those who are left on the earth to worship the beast and his image. But isn't it interesting what the false prophet uses to mesmerize the masses? He uses signs and he uses miracles. It's, it's what people want. It's what people are drawn to in so many churches today. Give me a church that has miracles going on. Give me a healing church. Give me, give me, you know, it, it, people are drawn. Does God heal? Yes, he does. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God does perform miracles. I believe in miracles today, and I believe that God heals today. But there are people that are being drawn, and they will be drawn even by these false prophets with signs and miracles. It's because it's what the flesh is drawn towards. Jesus says in Matthew 24, 11, that many false prophets will rise up and they will deceive many. Not just a few. They will deceive many. In Matthew 24, verse 24, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. The Apostle John wrote in 1 John 4, 1, He says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. He's talking to Christians here. Christians, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. We're to test the things that we're being taught. We're to test those who claim to be prophets, speaking on behalf of God. How do we test them? You have to know your word. You have to know the word of God. Test the words by the word of God. The truth of those things will be found in God's word if they're true. Paul in 2 Corinthians 11.26 also speaks about false brethren. There are actually false brethren out there that can deceive people. In 2 Corinthians 11.13, he talks about false apostles. There were false apostles in the Lord's day. The, in 2 Peter 2.1, he warns about false teachers. And I do believe that false prophets and false teachers are synonymous really in our day today. Teachers are also referred to as prophets, and prophets are referred to as teachers. In 1 Timothy 4.2, he warns about false witnesses. And so we have false brethren, false apostles, false teachers, false witnesses that are out there in the world. And they're out there deceiving people with half-truths and with full-on lies. So who are these false prophets? These false teachers that Jesus is warning us about. 
I believe that in the context of what we're reading in, in the Sermon on the Mount here, when Jesus was teaching this, probably the scribes and the Pharisees were the biggest offenders of who Jesus was probably making reference to. He's, he's referred to them numerous times through these three chapters. And so I believe that the false prophets that they were being warned about were the religious people of the day. Isn't that interesting? Those are the ones that Jesus says, I want you to beware of. There's a lot of people out there with lots of lies and have-truths that don't even claim to be Christians. But the ones that claim to be Christians, those are the ones that Jesus says, beware of false prophets. False prophets, Jesus said, or these false prophets, they're like wolves. They cover themselves in sheep's clothing, which gives us an indication that it's hard to see. It's hard to see if you have a wolf that has covered himself and surrounded himself with this sheep's clothing. It's hard to really see it. And you, there's a lot of Christians that get deceived by teachers and by people that by all outward appearance, they seem to be good and right on. But they have ulterior motives. They have other things that are motivating them behind the pulpit. There's other reasons why they want to have a, a church and a flock of Christians because they, they, they either want to fleece the people, they want to get something out. It's doing something for them. They're false prophets that cover themselves in sheep's clothing. As I already said, if you want to see that, turn your TV on. Go to the Christian channels and look. And you'll find that there are many that are out there. Jesus is warning his disciples that these false prophets will seek to lead those who are not on their guard. If you're not on your guard, you're in danger. If you're not heeding the warning of our Lord to beware then you could be in danger of being led astray. I believe that as Jesus was giving these words, he's also thinking of those many people that are standing at the broad gate. They're standing outside this broad gate that leads to destruction, and he says, beware of false prophets. He says, be on guard when they come to you and they appear, appear on the outside to be harmless as sheep. Sheep are not very intimidating, are they? I, I mean, I don't run from a sheep, but I might run from a wolf. Their outward appearance is not something that looks deceptive. But if you look at a wolf, uh, a wolves, they're sneaky. They're deceptive. They will come, Jesus says, with persuasive words. They'll come with these half-truths. And Jesus says, 
that you need to beware because that sheep that is really a wolf, he's a ravenous wolf. I don't think I'm overplaying this. I don't think I'm making a, too much of, a, uh, of an emphasis upon how dangerous they are and how dangerous they are to the church today. They're ravenous wolves. What's interesting about this word ravenous is that the word can also be translated extortioner or a robber. Think about some of the men that are behind pulpits that are ravenous and how they're going after the flock. Extortioners and robbers, they have agenda in what they're doing. God spoke to Ezekiel in chapter 22, verse 25, and describes them this way. The conspiracy of her prophets in her midst is like a roaring lion tearing the prey. They have devoured people. They have taken treasure and precious things. They have made many widows in their midst. That's Ezekiel speaking about these false prophets and their agenda and what they were looking to do. Paul, after he had spent three years in the city of Ephesus, after he had spent that time ministering and discipling the people there for a period of three years, he wrote to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, verse 28. This is what he says. Therefore, speaking, these are to Christian elders in a church. Therefore, take heed to yourselves, elders, and to all the flock that God has put into your care, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. That is a, to me, when I read those words, to myself as a pastor in this church, I take those words very seriously. He's given me the responsibility. He's purchased you and I with his own blood. That's a great responsibility. This is what Paul is exhorting these elders to do. He says that they should shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. For I know, Paul says, that after my departure from you, that savage wolves, here's that wolves again, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up and they'll speak perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. And this is what he says, therefore watch. And remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Paul was concerned. I'm leaving now. It's time for me to move on. And in my departure, as he made a defense for the church there and watched over them and protected them and held the, held the road with God's word, he says, when I leave, know this, that there are going to be people that are going to come up in your midst and they're going to seek to deceive they're going to be savage wolves that are going to come in. They're going to come in with truths and have lies. Beware. Be watchful. Jesus says 
these false prophets or these teachers that they're not only deceptive by appearance on the outside, but they're also ravenous wolves on the inside, both being deceptive. It's not always easy, though, to detect a false prophet. Because, you know, uh, we, as Christians, we, we, we look a lot of times at outward appearance. We look at how that person looks, how good he communicates. I mean, he might be just, his, his oracle skills might just be excellent. And he stands up in front of people and people get mesmerized by that, more than they're mesmerized by the truth that comes out of his mouth. But somebody that knows their Bible, somebody that knows the truth of God's Word, if somebody stands up there, if I, I hope that if I stand up here and I give you a half-truth, a quarter-truth, or just a little bit of false truth, that there's going to be enough wisdom and knowledge of God's Word in this church right now that you're going to go, that's not right. That's wrong. That's the value of knowing your word. It's not always easy to detect when you see the outward, but if you listen to what they say, you'll be able, and you know your word, you'll be able to pick up on it. You'll be able to know. Commentators have viewed these verses that we're reading this morning in two ways. Some have said that the false prophets are false teachers who are bringing in false doctrine. That's one thought as we read through that text. Others say this is a warning for us that there are those who maybe have good doctrine, they might have good doctrine, but their life does not line up with their words. So do you see both sides and both dangers? You could have somebody that could be very good at speaking, but outside the church and what they do with their life, their life doesn't line up with their words. I'm of the opinion that what Jesus is warning of here is both. He's concerned with the doctrine, but he's also concerned with their life and how they live. It's been said that the conduct of one's life is the true mirror of one's doctrine. Let me say that again. The conduct of one's life is the true mirror of one's doctrine. Jesus says in verse 16, You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? He's asking a question, and the answer to it is no. This word, you will know, is the Greek word, epigonosko. Epigonosko, by definition, means this, to know something by experience or to fully know them. And, and that's what's important. He says, you, Jesus says, you will know them by their fruits. You should be able to pick it out and to know and to see, is their life consistent with the things that they say and that they teach? Notice that he says that you will know them by their fruits, plural. Not singular, but plural. 
And then he gives us this picture of someone gathering grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles. And in other words, I think what Jesus is saying here is that the two of these things don't line up. You know, doctrine and practice, how, what I say and what I do, they're not lining up. And they should. We know that there are teachers that are gifted and their ability to communicate, but their doctrine falls, or their practice falls short. We see it every single day. We see it as we watch and observe other people. And I'm not saying in the judgment, you're just trying to be critical and pick things out, but we need to be people that are observing and watchful. Jesus says that if you want to know who's real and who the real thing is, then you need to look for the fruits. You need to look for the fruits in their life. We already talked about this in the beginning of this chapter when Jesus warned about wrongly judging people. But we're called to judge righteously, aren't we? We're called to to make righteous judgment. And we're called to be fruit inspectors as Christians. Nothing wrong with that. Jesus doesn't say you're being critical in your judging when you're judging fruit. We should judge the fruit. You should judge the fruit that you see in my life as a pastor. You should be able to say, you know what? Is Greg, as pastor here, lining up with the things that he's teaching and saying? Is his life following that? You should be a good fruit inspector. Fruits, I believe, include deeds and doctrine. A person speaking in the name of God is to be tested by the Word of God. If you speak the Word of God, then you're going to be tested by the Word of God. If you stand up in front of people and say that I'm speaking truths of God's Word, then expect that you should be tested by the Word of God itself. We all know that term, or we should know that term, uh, being a good Berean. Have you ever heard that term? We read about that in Acts chapter 17, where Paul was commending those in Berea, this city of Berea, for examining the things that he was teaching to see if they were so. Here's the Apostle Paul, somebody that knew the Word of God very well, but he commended those that would examine the things that he said in light of the truth of God's Word. Being a good Berean. That same principle still holds true today. There are some that are good Bereans. They examine, they search. I'm not talking about in critical ways. I'm talking about just being a good student of what God's Word says. The prophet Isaiah said in, in chapter 8, verse 20, that... If they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Very important. Character should also be tested by its fruits. The character of a man. 
the character of a woman. Uh, it's our character, really, that it be also becomes this fruit. It's not just the words we preach or the things that we say. It's the fruit that comes out of our life, in our character, in the way we behave, the way that we live. It's the produce, so to speak, of our thoughts, our words, our deeds that need to be tested. I think that all of our lives become, we get examined. People examine us. Sometimes they critically examine you in the wrong way. But we should be examined and we should welcome, you know what, I'm okay with my life being under the spotlight a little bit. I want to be able to stand before people and not have to say that I'm trying to make it work. I read a story of a renowned artist by the name of Paul Gustav Dorr, who had lost his passport while traveling in Europe. And when he came to a border crossing, he explained his predicament to one of the guards. Giving his name to the official, Dorr hoped that he would be recognized and allowed to pass. The guard, however, said that many people attempted to cross the border by claiming to be persons they were not. Dorr insisted that he was the man that he claimed to be. All right, said the official, we'll give you a test. And if you pass it, we'll allow you to go through. Handing Dora a pencil and a sheet of paper, the official told the artist to sketch several peasants that were standing nearby. And Dor did it so quickly and skillfully that the guard was convinced Dor was indeed who he claimed to be. His work confirmed his word. And I think that that should be the example. You know, his work confirmed his word. But let me throw out some other cautions to us this morning. And these are, there's just a few of them here. When it comes to our being cautious of what's out there in our world today, there are uh, churches and ministries that have miracle and healing services. And there are thousands and there are millions of people that are drawn to these services week after week after week. They're drawn to these things. They're enamored with these things. It's what they want. And there are people that get deceived. Again, I, I make a point. I believe in miracles. I believe in healing. I believe God does those things today. But there is a danger for people that will put all of their stock in a church that their whole basis is based upon miracles and healings. And it's the only reason why they show up there week after week is to see the next new miracle and the next healing that comes their way. There's a danger in that. We need to remember that God's word is always superior to miracles. Miracles only confirm the Word of God. They do not establish doctrine. They only confirm it. And so we need to be careful. We need to beware. There's also the danger of sensationalism in God's Word. 
Sensationalism, by definition, means to use sensational language, to arouse an intense emotional response from people. That's a caution for today. There are a lot of people that are very good at that, just whipping up the people and getting them to to hear, and they're very good at their communication skills. But a lot of times with that sensationalism, there's also emotionalism, that it goes along with it. And both of those things are not good for a solid foundation as a Christian. If if your foundation is based upon emotionalism and sensationalism of what happens from the pulpit or what happens within the church, that's not a good foundation to be based on. And we see a lot of that in the churches today. Uh, More testimonies than the Word of God. And there are a lot of churches out there that put an emphasis upon testimony after testimony and this and look what God's doing and and half the service or more is just based upon testimonies and then now we'll talk about the word of God. And they make that not the central point of what's being taught to the people. It's more about testimonies than it is about the word of God. I think we have to be careful with that. There's also unity uh, and the Word of God. There are people that are uh, out there that really believe that, you know what, the number one purpose of the church right now is just to keep unity, keep unity in the church, even at the expense of doctrine. And that is happening all over right now. Even the churches that are vacillating with this same-sex marriage, vacillating whether or not, hey, shouldn't we be tolerant? Shouldn't we change with the times? Shouldn't we do, you know, it, it's unity at any cost that's dangerous and that's happening within the church today Jesus goes on in verses 17 to 19 giving us examples giving us the example of a good tree and a bad tree he says this is how you can tell a good teacher and a bad teacher he says examine their fruit This is how you can do it. Verse 17, even so, every good tree bears good fruit and every bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. A good tree, we might say, could be a good heart, good character, that that is with inside of a person, their motives, their character. That is a good tree. It describes a heart or a person or a prophet or a teacher that is profitable to people, one that is useful to people, of good value when he teaches the Word of God. A good tree is not able to produce evil fruit. If a pastor, a teacher, a prophet, whatever word you want to use, is standing there teaching the people and he has a right heart, things are are right in him, then he's not going to be producing bad fruit. If he's teaching the word of God to the people, there's not going to be bad fruit that's going to come out of your life you're going to have good fruit that will come forth out of you. But a bad tree, one uh, that is 
putrefying or decaying or rotting away. It's corrupted. A bad tree has corruption inside. Somebody stands up and they're a corrupted teacher. And they have motives and reasons why they're teaching the people. They're looking out for money. They're doing it for this, for their own fame or their own publicity. That's a bad tree. And that bad tree produces no fruit. Because good fruit doesn't come out of a bad tree. In other words, you're not going to see anything good come out of it. Good fruit is good character. It's holy life. It's somebody that's lining up. It's being a noble and excellent and righteous in the way you live. That's the fruit that you need to look for when you listen to a teacher, you listen to a whoever it might be, are you looking for that fruit in that person's life? The opposite is bad fruit, or which is the opposite of good fruit. Their, their character refers to evil. It's, it's only evil in what they bring forth. It's in opposition to good fruit. One person said this concerning bad fruit. Uh, is he, he wrote, a New Yorker or a New York City couple were mailed two tickets to a smash Broadway hit with no explanation or identification of the sender. Nevertheless, they decided to attend the show, which they thoroughly enjoyed. Returning after the show that night, they discovered their home had been ransacked and looted of furs and jewelry. On the pillow was the simple note, Now you know. Like the nameless thief, false prophets and false teachers know what people want to hear, and so they proclaim a message that appeals to their sensual desires. I think it's a great picture. Now you know. And there are people that sit and listen, and many times they don't know. And they sit there and they hear and they hear and they take it in and they take it in and they don't even know what they're taking in. Jesus says, if the tree is good, it'll bring forth good fruit. Jesus closes in verse 20 with a therefore. Therefore, by their fruits, and these fruits, good or bad, you will know them. Therefore, Jesus says, he's trying to make a point now, by their fruits, whether they're good fruit or bad fruit, you will know them. That's how we determine. That's how we judge. That's how we hold people up to the standard of God's the truth of God's word. Hold them up to his word.